Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another Wednesday night edition of Sports Conversation on the Fighting Network. Of course, our director and our man in the, behind the controls is always the same. But let me just say, first of all, Roy Cummings will be joining us from Tampa, Florida. Talk about the Bucks. Talk about the Lightning. Talk about 
what's happening in the world of sports over there, the Rays. Steve Kinsella will join us, our baseball wizard, and especially after the changes in the rules that were sort of solidified again today. Billy Werndell will join us from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mike Simzak will join us from Baltimore, Washington. And, of course, Doug Hamilton, our PGA expert, will join us from uh, the Baltimore area as well. But first, our man behind the controls. And uh, so if you're ready to give us our dedication of the night and also uh, our first commercial of the night, go to it. Thank you, Doug. In Stellar County, Pennsylvania, uh, many years ago, there was just two uh, Catholic uh, boys high schools. One was uh, Monsignor Bonner, the other one was St. James. Unfortunately, Saint, uh, one of the, the finest that came out of uh, Monsignor, Mar- uh, Monsignor Bonner, uh, Mike, Marty uh, Mack, and his partner, uh, Brendan Seiko, both at the age of 26 years old, both fathers, both young men, both uh, fresh out of the uh, Pennsylvania State Police Academy, were killed on the other night at the sports uh, section of uh, 95 in Philadelphia. Our deepest regrets go out to to uh, Marty's uh, family and Brendan's family, and uh, we uh, we'll keep we ask everybody if you just keep them in your prayers for the next couple of days. Um, if you're uh, tired of uh, paying uh, exorbitant rates to the utility company to, to uh, get your electric, in the last year, they, the last three years, they raised your rent twice, 37 and 39%, and then again, 42 and 51%. If you're tired of paying all this and playing the lottery, then you need to call our, our sponsor, BioSolar, B-O-S-O-L-O-R. <clears throat> They're... The company that puts in the, bio, the solar panels on your roof, you can either rent them or you can buy them, but they guarantee a 25-year price uh, guarantee. You won't be paying the exorbitant prices. So, and at the end of the year, end of the term, if you want to buy or sell them in the house, it's a big addition to the your cost of the house. So, uh, if you want to do that, their license is. Every state in the union, the phone number is 727-314-6976, and ask for Patrick, and Patrick will take good care of you. They also, if you have already uh, talked to someone about solar panels, give them a call because they found that many of the co- around the country, many of the con- companies coming up are throwing extra cost in that you don't need, and they've saved two and $3,000 for people on, in units. So that's BioSolar, 727-314-6976, and ask for Patrick. Don? That's Frank Carroll, our producer, and, of course, uh, he's the man behind the controls. Once again, Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida. And, of course, Roger Hendler, as always, sitting on top of the big quarterback exchange out there in Atlanta. We'll talk about that. But let's start with Roy Cummings first, and, Roy, jump on the first topic that comes to mind. Well, the big big topic to me, guys, has to be, and I, I got I got to pass uh, you know or pass the baton here to to Roger. Roger, Matt Ryan, no longer a, an Atlanta Falcon. I think we sort of you know thought this was was coming, we, but uh, it's kind of hard to imagine actually. And um, 
tell us what you what you know about that. Take us on the inside in that if you can, and uh, you know what happened there. Why did this move happen? Uh, is I hope it's just a financial thing, but that's not a very good excuse. But uh, how did they end up uh, letting Matt Ryan go to uh, go to go to uh, Indianapolis? Well, I, I'll tell you, Roy. I think it was a couple of things. I think number one, it was to put Matt in a position. <clears throat> pardon me, where uh, he has a chance to win. And it reminds me of two years ago with Philip Rivers after an illustrious career with the Chargers and then going to the Colts and doing a really great job. And, of course, then he went on, now he's a high school uh, football coach. But uh, I think it was uh, it was money. I think it was because they uh, the Colts were able to uh, dump uh, Carson Wentz's contract uh, on Washington. And uh, I think that it was to find a good place uh, for Matt. And what's ironic about this whole thing is, and I, uh, I emailed him and heard back, Matt Conti used to be in the PR department with the Falcons when Matt was drafted. And I sent him an email, and he had just gone to pick up Matt and got him at the airport, and he said he's the same guy he was when he was drafted and started with the Falcons in 08. And I know Mike Smith, who is a coach that you have a lot of respect for, as do I, he uh, was on uh, Sirius uh, NFL radio talking about the character, everything about Matt Ryan. And I think that uh, from everything I've uh, read and heard, the Colts have rebuilt that offensive line, and I think that this uh, could be a great opportunity uh, for Matt to not only get in the playoffs, but maybe uh, go far, uh, far in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but, you know, we talked about it, I remember, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that the Colts are going to be looking for a quarterback. And the, the surprise last to me, week, though. Roger. Yeah, last, last week, Roger. Last week, we talked, we talked yeah. about it. Yeah, the, but my, my question to you is, aren't you surprised that they accepted? I mean, he's got three years for a lot of money down the road. Uh, you know, you're not only assuming a player you hope can take you to deep into the playoffs or even the Super Bowl, but you're also looking at two years beyond this year and an awful lot of money. Well, I agree. But I think what they're looking at is that uh, they can uh, draft a quarterback, and I wouldn't think this year, but next year, and that'll give them two years uh, with Matt because these guys today, the quarterbacks, and, you know, Brady's coming back, and uh, these fellows are playing at, at almost 40 years old. So uh, the, one, the thing that got me was that they signed Mariota to a uh, two-year contract uh, to right. be the quarterback for the Falcons. To me, I'm, I was surprised about that. Yeah, right. I was too, guys. Uh, Obviously surprised that, that Matt Ryan was let go because, look, I think Matt Ryan has plenty left in him. Uh, yeah. I, I think he plays through the contract and plays at a high level. And, you know, if, if you're uh, Indianapolis, I think this makes a lot of sense for you because, let's face it, the, uh, the AFC South is always wide open. No one can seemingly take uh, take control in that division. Uh, the Titans have probably been the best uh, or the closest to it. The Texans obviously can't do it. Uh, they're not going to do it without Deshaun Watson, so we'll see what happens. But, um, I think it's a great opportunity for Indianapolis and for Matt Ryan. And, you know, it's interesting that uh, uh, that uh, the, the Falcons basically just kind of folded the tent here and said, uh, you know what, uh, we can't compete in this division right now. And maybe, I don't know if Tom Brady's return had something to do with that, if that kind of, you know, pushed it over the edge for them. 
Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. Arthur Blank, obviously, I think, uh, you know, felt like uh, maybe he owed uh, Matt Ryan a little bit better opportunity down the stretch of his career, which, again, you don't see this happen very often in the NFL. But to sign Marcus Mariota, and look, my guess is he'll probably maybe draft a quarterback, but to bring in Marcus Mariota as you're, right now your number one, um, that's certainly not uh, not getting it done, but uh, very interesting for sure. And uh, yeah, I, look, I think this puts the the uh, the Colts in a position to uh, certainly contend for that division and uh, and possibly go deep into the playoffs. Because Roger, I, I think you'll back me up on this. I haven't seen anything in Matt Ryan that tells me he's anywhere close to being done. Um, you know, he's not quite the player he was, you know, five six years ago, but. Uh, there's nothing wrong uh, with the way he plays the game. If he's got some talent around him, and he'll have it there, he'll have some balance. And um, the thing that just amazes me is uh, is how how the Falcons have just basically kind of folded the tent here. Yeah. And uh, I'm just I'm just shocked at that. Well, I am too, and and I agree with you about uh, Matt. And uh, he just took so many hits this past year. But I was talking to a fella earlier today, and. You know, you'll probably uh, agree. I hope you'll agree with me about this, um, uh, Roy. The Falcons have always been lacking for a good offensive line. You know, they had to sign as a free agent Alex Mack as a center a number of years ago. I don't know. I I think he may be with Cleveland or somebody now. But, uh, you know, the, the offensive line, except maybe the year they went to the Super Bowl, and they've never been the same since the Super Bowl. And on top of that, Matt Ryan has never had the win, the number of wins and the winning percentage in the new stadium that he had in the old uh, Georgia Dome. And I can't figure that out, you know. Yeah, that, that's really odd because, let's face it, you used to go in the old Georgia Dome, and, and it was that was just a house of horrors for any visiting team. Yeah. It, it was so hard to beat the Falcons, even when they weren't, you know, Super Bowl champion or, or caliber rather uh, – teams they they were they were always difficult to play in there with Matt Ryan so it's kind of weird how that happened but you know what you're right you mentioned uh you know just what an incredible uh collapse for this organization since the halftime of their Super Bowl appearance I mean just incredible how this team has just crumbled uh since and you know you're right about Matt Ryan never having you know a very good offensive line that was an area that they never could quite seemed to uh, to shore up. There was always at least one, if not two or three, missing pieces there. They'd have a center, but they wouldn't have a left tackle. They'd have a guard or two, but wouldn't have the right tackle. They were always missing something, and uh, they just couldn't quite get those uh, get that, that that part of it together enough to um, to really uh, uh, be the, the potentially dominant team that they had the skill skill set to be. Uh, because let's face it, I mean they're, they're, they certainly get plenty of great receivers. And running backs, and they had they had the quarterback. Um, they're usually usually pretty good in the secondary, but uh, offensive line, linebacker, and D line always been issues for that uh, for that organization. Absolutely. Well, the other thing too is, and Quinn's not going to get a chance when he was head coach and had the Super Bowl one and let it get away with him. The offensive coordinator maybe uh, the offensive coach may a wrong call on the home stretch, but uh, so Quinn's going to get another chance to to do something with another club. But going back to uh, the Brady, you said very moment ago, uh, Roy, looks like his arms have reached out again. The running back that really carried him to the Super Bowl, who was really a, an own run factor when he came in with Brady, and he went to 
New England to take a look see, but I guess he talked to Tom and he's coming back to Tampa. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, I was asked on another uh, show, uh, TV uh, segment that I do here in Tampa uh, a little more than a week ago. Um, now, who's the one Buccaneers free agent that you think they need to have back? And I said Leonard Fournette. And the reason I said it was because I think they have to have some balance there. Look, I believe in Ronald Jones. I think he's a very capable, uh, if not underrated, uh, running back. I think he can certainly um, help this team. But uh, Leonard Fournette has turned out to be something that a lot of people didn't think he was uh, a year or two ago, and or two or three years ago, I should say. Um, he's, he's tough. Uh, he's certainly a, a big-game player. He's proven that. And he's getting better. He's, I mean, he's just gotten better. I mean, he's coming off uh, a year in which he averaged 4.5 yards per carry, his best of his career, 1,200 yards. He's catching the ball. Um, something happened with uh, Leonard Fournette when he came to Tampa. It's like maybe he got a wake-up call. Maybe his agent said, hey, this could be your last chance. You need to take advantage of it. Maybe being around Tom Brady and some of the other guys that um, have been there and done it in terms of getting to the playoffs and winning a Super Bowl did something for him. Um, but something something clicked here with Tampa, and I think he knows it. I think he realizes he's in a very good place. And uh, I'm impressed with the fact that uh, he's – twice now, taking less money to stay in Tampa and be with a, a winning team, a championship-caliber team, than uh, going for the money. I, I think we're seeing a, a Leonard Fournette who uh, could soon le- soon become a, a leader in the locker room, certainly a leader of his position group in Tampa, and uh, a guy who I think the Bucks can get uh, plenty out of over the next two, three years here because, um, you know, it's, it's look, it's a lot of money. And I know Bruce Arians doesn't like to spend that kind of money on running backs, and I'll tell you this, you know, Jason Light was early on uh, when, when Leonard Fournette was coming out of college, Jason Light, the Buccaneers general manager, was not a big fan. He, he always uh, – I asked him once about Leonard Fournette, and he said, every time I see that guy, he's on the bench and there's been an injury. And um, he wasn't wrong, uh, but um, I think Leonard Fournette has uh, – again, I, I think he's found uh, a different gear and a different uh, approach to the game here in Tampa, and obviously uh, – he brings a balance or helps bring a balance to the Buccaneers that uh, they have to have um, going forward. Tom Brady can't be back there throwing the ball 45 times like he did a couple of times this year. They've got to have a balance, and I think he provides those. This, was, to me, was – I would say this was their most important signing, to be honest with you. But I also think, and Roger, you jump in too, <laughs> it's still the undercurrent. Tom Brady is not just what Tom does while he's playing and the leadership he shows on the field. But look at the people. Danny Gronkowski, you can almost bet your life on the fact he's going to come oh, back now. Absolutely. And I mean, the, 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 the power he has over these other players, and I think Fournette is just a perfect example. The undercurrent is Tom's back. I'm not going to New England. I'm going to come back and play with him. <laughs> right. Oh, you're absolutely well, right. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to play with the greatest of all time? You, autom- you know automatically that you are going to be a playoff contender, if not a Super Bowl contender, just by having him a quarterback. Um, He is so, so far and away, uh, you know, above everybody else at that position in this game right now that it's, 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 it's uncanny. It's just, I don't think we've ever seen anyone so far advanced, uh, you know, among players in his, in his league that than, than Tom Brady, it's just incredible. And I think everybody sees it and you're right. They say, well, heck, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm, I'm coming where Brady is. You know, for all we know, 
it could have been people like Leonard Fournette and Ryan Jensen and Gronkowski and a few others who got to Tom Brady and said, Tom, you can't quit now. We, we've, got a, we've, got chance, we've got a chance here to be something special. We want to win another Super Bowl. I could see, I could see Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette and Levante David and some of the Buccaneers players saying, you know, getting together and going to him and saying, hey, Tom, you, you took us there once. Let us help you take you there again. We can right. do this. We'll help you. I can see that <laughs> happening. It may be a story that we, we find out later on, but I got to think that maybe that might have had something to do with Tom Brady coming back. and that He was talked into it by these guys because they want to be a part of it, and they want to be a part of it with him. Well, we hate well, to I'll, get the bus turn the page for a minute here and, and, and switch over to baseball because we haven't had a chance to talk much about baseball because of the lockout and all the rest of it. And they're still changing the rules as of what yesterday they, you know, reinforced the ghost runner at second base. Uh, they're going to be able to have 28 people on the roster until early May because of the short. Uh, but a, a number of rules that, uh, uh, and also the designated hitter. If you're a pitcher, as they have in California, and you, uh, you, you know, you take him out as a pitcher, designated hitter, he doesn't have to leave the game. He can stay in the game. Uh, some little refineries that I'm sure the Owners are going to, you know, obviously vote positive on next week. But what do you think about some of these? Getting away with the seven-inning doubleheaders, I I love that. I I thought that was terrible. Right. Yeah, I I, I, I think it's a good compromise, to be honest. If you're going to have nine-inning doubleheaders, and I think you should, um, and you're going to have extra innings, you know what? Why not have the ghost runner? I, I think it adds a little bit of excitement. I don't mind seeing it for another year. I think it's a bit of a gimmick, but I don't mind it. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I, 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 I sort of like it. I mean, I do like the fact that it kind of allows you a chance. I mean, it, let's face it, it makes for automatic excitement in that, uh, you know, in that extra inning. Uh, where you've got the ghost runner. So I'm not opposed to that. I, I love the nine-inning uh, rule for doubleheaders. That's, that's Major League Baseball. That's how it should be. Um, and I, I do like the 28-man roster. To be honest, guys, I'd like to see the Major League Baseball keep a 28-man roster throughout the course of the season. Um, just, Amen. You know, You'll only 13 and, pitchers, though, Roy. 13 pitchers is your limit. Right. Right. And, and, and that's fine. I think that's fine. Uh, you know, there's still plenty of ways to, to maneuver pitchers and waivers and stuff, stuff like that. But I think the 28-man roster is really uh, – I, I think that's helpful for all teams, uh, especially when you've got the kind of condensed schedule here that you've got. Look, they, they took away a week, but a week means a lot. You only have 21 days off in the uh, in Major League Baseball. Um, it, it gets a little bit tough, especially late in the year. So um, I, I'd like to see that uh, maintained throughout the course of the season. At the very least, until we get back to uh, a situation where we don't have to worry at all about COVID. I mean, you've seen already a couple of guys on the COVID list uh, in major league right. uh, organizations in spring training. A couple of teams have lost a couple of guys. So that could still be a bit of, a, of, of an issue going forward. So until that's really cleared up, I'd like to see him keep the 28-man roster. But uh, So overall, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the rule changes. Roger? Yeah, I just I I am too, Roy. I I just wanted to get back to football for a second, and and what did you think about the Tyreek Hill trade, and and what uh, Miami gave up, and what 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 is uh, what's going to happen with the Chiefs now? 
I mean, you know, it, I just, that that deal today, and it was all about dollars and cents, and for uh, Hill to be the highest paid receiver in the history of football. Yeah, obviously, uh, there, I think maybe the the Chiefs, and I'm again, I'm, I'm sort of guessing here. I don't know this, but it seemed to me as if the Chiefs knew that they were going to have an issue if they couldn't. Uh, signed Tariq Hill to the deal that he wants, and he wanted that deal. Uh, there could have been a, a situation where they were going to—he was going to—he was going to sit out, and they didn't want that. Um, and so they got to go find a team that uh, is willing to take on that salary, which is in, immense. And uh, uh, look, I, I like what they got back for him. Obviously, it's going to hurt them in the short term. Uh, I got to think that uh, you know. I mean, to me, I mean, you're getting rid of one of the most explosive players in the game. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, and and I don't think he makes the Dolphins a, a contender off the top. I mean, I, I, that that seems still a, a bit of a mess, and um, I think they're going to need more than that. It will make for some exciting moments for the Dolphins, but they got to get somebody to get the ball to them. I don't know if two is the the answer going forward. I mean, we, there's still concern inside the organization there whether he's the guy. Um, you know, I think this certainly helps him, no doubt about it. But uh, interesting how, I mean, we just we started off this segment talking about Matt Ryan and how curious that move was. Here's another curious move. There's a lot of strange things happening in the NFL these days. <laughs> this is just one of them. And we haven't even gotten to the draft yet. No. Exactly, <laughs> right. You know, and, and, and now I guess, you know, look, everybody thinks that the, the Chiefs are going to, you know, uh, automatically – draft a, a receiver with their first round pick and if not their first and second um they'll probably add a couple of pieces there but you know what they've still got the the the, the arsenal okay. necessary to pick up a receiver in a trade or something like that uh there's still some free agents out there there's a way there's ways to build this team but you're not going to be able to build back a uh, a Tyree Hill that's for sure Roy, once again, a great first half hour, and uh, we touched on a lot of things, baseball, football, and a lot of things going on right now. As you said, this is only the beginning. We haven't got to the draft and what's going to happen before that happens. But, <laughs> but once again, thank NFL you very much. Time. As always, it's a pleasure. We're always Pleasure's talking always fine, guys, and you're hand- I'm handing it off to uh, one of the best uh, guys you'll ever meet, one of the, be- one of the most knowledgeable uh, baseball people in Steve Cancelo. There, there aren't too many like him out there, so uh, – you are fortunate to have him on after me, guys. That's for sure. Hey, Roy, well, we're going to give it a good. We're going to give it a good test right now because I always <laughs> look forward to Steve being on, as he well knows. And there's so many things to talk about. We touched very quickly on the new rules, but before we do that, Steve, let me ask you uh, uh, your assessment of the lockout and all that happened and the final contracts that were signed. What do you think? Uh, it doesn't do much for. Uh... For me, it's just you know what it did is it just allowed all the teams to operate the way they've been operating. It doesn't really change the landscape of the of the uh, of the sport for most fans. All it did was allow the bigger teams to spend more of their money, which is what the union wanted. So uh, from right. that as from that aspect, uh, you know if you're a fan of the Phillies or the Dodgers or the Yankees or you know one of the bigger market teams that spends money, you're happy. If you're a fan of the A's, the Reds, the uh, Guardians, the Rays, the, um, the Pirates, uh, it, it didn't do much for those fan bases. But the Players Union doesn't care about the sport so much, um, which may be a harsh way of putting it. What they care about is getting paid. 
and having teams operate with the salary cap being as low as it was, you know, the competitive balance tax, they didn't feel that enough money was being spent. I've always said that, you know, if every team in baseball had the same, like, uh, revenue spending on payroll that it seemed like the Rays have, the players' union would be happy as hell. And they, the entire negotiation was geared towards getting these teams to spend more of their money because they do have it, and there's no argument there. Well, as uh, Roy said a moment ago, Steve Cassella is our special guest this segment of the program, and Roger will let you jump in. Well, Steve, you know, we were talking with with talking with Roy about uh, uh, Matt Ryan going to the Colts. Well, on the baseball side, another uh, Atlanta hero was uh, lost to the Dodgers and Freddie Freeman. And what did you think about the uh, Braves' uh, move, about what they picked up, and about uh, with Freddie moving to uh, the Dodgers and does that even uh, solidify the Dodgers more? I think it does. Well, yeah, it helped the Dodgers, but it was one of the smartest moves the Braves could make. And I said this before the lockout. I said it after the lockout. And, you know, if you don't follow history, you're going to be condemned to repeat it. You go back in time to the St. Louis Cardinals winning the World Series, and their best player, their stand usual at the time, was Albert Pujols who's the same age as Freddie Freeman, and, oh, by the way, was a free agent. Now, DeRee signed with the Cardinals, wanted a Lifetime Achievement Award contract. Um, he wanted the 10-year deal, and the Cardinals said, you know, we love you, Albert. You have been our guy. We just won the World Series with you. We're flush with money, but we're not crazy. We're not going to give you the huge Lifetime Achievement Award. And the Cardinals, you know, let him go to the 10-year deal, and after three years of that contract, everyone was like, what are you doing? You know, to the Angels, why would you give this guy all that money? Well, with Freddie Freeman, same position, first base, same age as Albert Pujols, uh, same scenario with the Braves winning the World Series. Uh, the Braves went younger. They went out and got a Matt Olson, who's as good as Freddie Freeman, signed him to the extension. Um, they're not going to have him in age of 38, 39, 40, 37. Uh, to me, they made the smart move. That allows them to take the extra money that Freeman would have wanted, either in years or annual salary. And now they're able to, to start focusing on guys like Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson, and probably redoing uh, Macuna at some point um, and redoing those contracts and allows them to also fill some other holes uh, with some other players. To me, it was a very, very shrewd move like the Cardinals did. Uh, you can't take away what Freddie Freeman did to the, for the city of Atlanta and for that franchise, but at the same time, you have to be able to make these decisions where you may have to let the Sam Usual or the, uh, in the case of the Braves, I guess they're Eddie Matthews go. Um, it's just the way of the world. Well, Steve, uh, you also can take a look at the New York Yankees. Their, uh, you know, their payroll is getting right to the limit of $250 million dollars. And they have to worry about Judge, who the judge has already said that he's either going to be renegotiated and extended prior to the beginning of the season, or he's not going to talk about it until after it's all over. But Brian Cashman has sort of put himself in a little bit of a bind uh, in terms of money. Uh, even Mr. Steinbrenner has said enough is enough. $250 million, you know, where are you going to go to, to get some of these free agents that they just couldn't even negotiate with? 
Yeah, you know, if I was the Yankees, my, my priority would be to let Aaron Judge go. I would try to move him in a trade or just let him walk in free agency if you have to. Uh, he's a big guy. He's got the. He's already got a few injuries under his belt. He probably has a few good years left, but he wants to get paid like good years left. And if you're Brian Cashman, you just don't do it. You know, there there's certain players you do it with, and there's certain players you don't. Aaron Judge is not somebody that you spend long term unless it's on your terms. I, I agree with that, Roger. Well, Aaron Judge said though that he wants to be a Yankee for life. So I'm wondering uh, whether uh, he will agree to uh, some of the Yankee terms uh, that would consider him being a Yankee for life. What do you think about that, Steve, Bob? Yeah, you know, the question I would throw back to you is, is Aaron Judge the type of player that the union's going to pressure to take the most money he can get? Um, you know, the old saying is, uh, you know, rising tides raise all ships. Um, it's kind of a mantra of the players. And when you're a premium guy, uh, sometimes, you know, at that right age, 29, 30 or younger, you know, I can't remember how old Judge is, uh, they want you to get the, the big I believe he's 28, Steve. Uh, yeah, right. so I think he's 28. Yeah, so in, now uh, the, the question I would ask you, 28, he'll play next year at 29. So is he worth an eight-year contract? And does the union want him to go for an eight- or ten-year contract at, you know, $25 million a year? Um, you know, these players are under intense pressure sometimes from the union to uh, to get that big deal. So it'll be interesting, you know. Uh, it would be very interesting. There's no doubting the talent, by the way, of Aaron Judge. I hope that uh, my critique of him doesn't devalue him in, in any way. I mean, I think he's got three or four outstanding years left in him. And character. Roger. And great character. No, great character. Oh, uh, you know, yeah. Aaron Judge. Yeah. Yeah, and and that that means a lot, and uh, I think especially uh, you know when you, when you're in the on the big stage at Yankee Stadium, and uh, what did you think about the uh, Phillies uh, acquisitions with the two uh, free agents that they got, Steve? Well, I I love the I love the lineup. First of all, I love Kyle Schwarber and I love Nick Castellanos. That's a one-two punch that can drive pitchers crazy, and you know, those guys with their on-base and their ability at the top of the lineup. Then you get into Har- Harper, Muto, and Hoskins. Um, very nice. Uh, you know, it, I, I think that it was a very good job. I think the Philadelphia front office did a nice job all in all um, this winter, getting those two guys and, and the additions they made to their bullpen, which I've told you they got to keep. they got to figure that bullpen out. You guys in yeah. Philadelphia – you have a great organization. You have a great team. You've got a horrible bullpen. I've said it to you guys yep. for two years. You know, fix this bullpen. And, you know, you go out and get Corey Knable. Uh, you're, take, you're taking a flyer and Familia and Brad and that they still have a little bit left. Ryan Sheriff's okay. He'll be your up-and-down guy um, out there. Um, you know, Nick Nelson. But you did a nice job overall. Of uh, of re, kind of retooling that that bullpen over the last two years, and now you look like you have some depth out there and some versatility. Sir Anthony Dominguez, if he is going to be what he's going to be this spring, his arm has looked so lively oh. that it's yeah. exciting. 
Well, he had the surgery, Steve, and you know, and uh, and he's still a young guy. And uh, you know, the other or yesterday, I guess, what did he? Uh, uh, three batters, three strikeouts. Yeah, you know, the results are great, but the way the ball came out of his hand, with the velocity, the movement, the drops, um, you know, that was that was just something that you know we haven't seen from him. He had spouts of velocity, but he's never really had the movement that he had yesterday um, out of his hand. And that was, that was exciting to see. Steve, how about Scherber and, and uh, DeGrom? They had, uh, well, DeGrom only had the one when he pitched the three batters, but uh, at least he's on the mound and it looks like he's sound. And he and Scherber got off to a pretty good start uh, yesterday. Yeah, you know, baseball, you know, coming out of the uh, lockout and stuff, they need some good stories. The last time we had a lockout, the good story was uh, uh, Sosa McGuire in time painted that story. But that was a good story coming out of the last lockout. Thing coming out of this lockout, the battle for New York could actually be a lot of fun uh, right. for, for for the media. It's a big market, of course. Um the Mets have got Steve Cohen, who they, you know has has put 275 or 280 million dollar payroll in there, and you've got the stars. You've got your Degrom, and you've got your Scherzer, you know, <laughs> you've got your Lindor, you got your Starling Marte, your Pete Alonso. I mean, they got all this talent. You know, I'm just mentioning some of the big, you know, back of the jersey names. Um, but you take a look at the Mets' expectations and the Yankees' ex- Yankees' expectations. And that could be a fun story um, in 2022 for the media to run with and for fans to get excited about. I know it's not as sexy as McGuire and uh, uh, Sosa and the, and the chase for Roger Maris and all that and Bond, uh, but this could be an exciting side story. And that's what baseball is looking for this year. I'm sure you guys are too. You know, the story is going to have to be what carries us to get over the lockout. And the other thing is, how much is Cohen going to spend? You know, he's already up there over that $250 million mark. Uh, he doesn't seem to be too worried about what the cost of the club's going to be. He's still negotiating with uh, some people now that uh, they haven't gotten signed. Uh, he's not giving up, or at least the general manager isn't giving up. Uh, but let's get back to your hometown team here in, in uh, Tampa, Florida. What do you think uh, Cash has done miracles over the last three or four years? Can he do it again this year? Well... Let's, uh, you know, Kevin Cash gets mad as well. Not mad, but frustrated. Uh, Kevin Cash has a, has a tremendous amount of talent to work with. So he's not working with anything that's subpar. I mean, the, the Rays have incredible talent, whether it's Wander Franco, Brandon Lau, Meadows, or Rosarena, or any of the pitchers that we want to talk about. Uh, so if you, were to, if you were to line the Rays up with another organization, you look at the Rays and you say, wow, they've got talent everywhere, bullpen, pitching, defense, uh, power, lineup everywhere. Minor leagues. Minor leagues, yeah. So it's not so much that, the, you know, everybody says, oh, how do the Rays do this? They just out-talent people. You know, you just don't, you know, you don't, you, you have to develop it, get it, put it in there and have talent. The Rays have some questions. In the tough AL East. I mean, that's another great story. You got the Yankees, you got the Red Sox, you got the Blue Jays, and you've got the Rays. Um, it's a great division, and the Rays do have some question marks. You know, believe it or not, they are a little thin in the starting pitching, uh, especially with uh, Shane Boz 
having a little elbow surgery to put him back a couple weeks. Luis Patino having a little hiccup put him back a little bit. Big question mark in Corey Kluber, you know, but that's a great, you know, to pair him. You get a comeback from Corey Kluber along with Shane McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen and, and Yarbrough. You've got all the arms in the bullpen, which is fantastic. To me, their biggest problem right now is they're lacking one more big right-handed bat. I don't know where it's going to come from. Um, it could be a Tommy Pham signing in the next couple of days. It could be a trade. You know, we can go to the Mets and look at J.D. Davis over at third base, maybe get him into the American League um, to the Rays um, in a deal. Maybe it's Garrett Cooper from the Miami Marlins, especially if they go out there and get Loreano from the Oakland A's, which is what they're talking about. Somewhere the Rays are going to have to find themselves that big right-handed bat, someone that can play first base, DH, maybe step into the outfield at times. So they have to get healthy in the rotation. They need a big right-handed bat. Other than that, I think they're a pretty deep team and they're ready to compete. But it won't be easy when you're playing the Blue Jays 19 times and the Red Sox 19 times and the Yankees 19 times. The AL East will be another fun story in 2022. Roger? Yeah, the, I think it's interesting about the uh, A's. I was watching uh, them against the Cubs today, and um, they I don't know what the plan is. I mean, do they have – a lot of uh, a good. But do they have a good minor league system, Steve, with uh, the uh, prospects to bring up to replace all these uh, great players that they're letting go? The short answer is no, and that's why they're doing what they're doing ahead of time. The Rays, the A's, don't rebuild. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. if you look at their, if you look at the A's over the long spectrum for different ownership groups and where they've played. Gentlemen, we can go back to Dick Williams and that team in the 70s. Then they went to a little bit of, okay, we're not very good. And then Billy Martin came in and made them good again, made them relevant. Then he went away. That team kind of went down a little bit after all the injuries to all the starting five that Billy Martin ran 100 and complete games on the staff. They, that that just went down for a couple of years, and they came back with the uh, Terry Steinbeck, Walt Weiss, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, that era. And that team was competitive for three or four years. And it went away, and then another A's team came and was competitive. That went away, and then this, this group of A's teams uh, came. Now, their farm system's pretty bare because they went for it with this group. Last year they traded – to go for it, they traded one of their best young arms in Jesus Luzardo for the rental of Starlin Marte. I'm just giving an example. So what they're faced with now is having to rebuild an entire farm system and reload on the fly. And the best way to do that is deal Chris Bassett, Montez, um, Sean Manea, Chapman, Olsen, maybe Loriano, maybe Murphy the catcher. Um, Get those guys moved. Get some of the young talent back. They've done tremendous in these trades, by the way. Uh, they've they've acquired a tremendous amount of talent that's near either near major league ready, like Christian Pache, or further away uh, some other top prospects. They're not done, but one thing I can tell you is that Oakland team does not go into long rebuilds. They just don't. 
But to answer your question at, from the very beginning, no, they do not have the farm system as of right now to just magically turn it around and absorb these trades. That's not going to happen. It's probably going to be a longer year in Oakland this year, but I think they turn the corner much quicker than other organizations. Steve Cancella is our guest here this evening in this segment uh, on Fight Network, and uh, really look forward to talking to Steve each and every time. He's nice enough to join us. I want to go back in history a little bit, Steve, because I know you and I disagree on some of these things in terms of baseball, but George Will, one of my really idols. I, I, I love George Will and his columns out of the New York Post and so forth. But, and he very seldom writes baseball. Usually opening day, he'll write a big column on baseball. And, and uh, he's a great baseball lover. He did the preview of Timmy McCarver's book. He was on Timmy's show a number of times. He's a great baseball fan. And he wrote a column a couple of days ago, which I think hit the nail on the head as far as baseball is concerned. He said, baseball deal after lockout does not fix the biggest problem. And I couldn't agree with them more. They've got so many problems uh, that yeah. I just think, uh, you know, to, to get into this sport again, uh, whether they have 28 or 26 to start, whether they have 13 pitchers, whatever they do, he goes back to game seven of the 1960 World Series. And you'll remember that well. Pirates beat the Yankees 10 to nine when Bill Mazeroski hit the walk-off home run. The game was played in two hours and 36 minutes. Now, this is a, this is a game It was 10 to 9, 10 to 9, mm-hmm. played in two hours and 36 minutes, during which time there were no strikeouts, zero, no strikeouts. In the last year, <laughs> last year's series, as we all watched on television, the Astros beat the Braves 7 to 2. That was in, in three hours and 11 minutes. And in that game, there were 23 strikeouts, and 45% of the balls were out. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's wrong with baseball. What's wrong with baseball well, is, is not yeah. the minor league system. It's not the players. It's a game. Sure. And they're going to, as, as uh, uh, Pat Williams told us last week, uh, you know, they're going to incorporate the 25-second clock, uh, not just in the minor leagues, but in the major leagues as well. Whether it will help, I don't know. But you can't play games in three hours and 11 minutes, and, you, and when you look at games were played in two hours or something, and, 10, and 18, 19 runs were scored. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're never going to have short games in baseball ever in the history of the game unless you make it seven innings. If you want to play that, well, they have to do something to speed up the game. It's not going to happen. I mean, we can argue about it. We can talk about it. We can talk about the necessity of it, but it's ne- we're never going back there. It's like people that talk about a four-man rotation or pitchers going 300 innings. Forget it. You're going to have. No, I agree. That's not going to happen. But you got to find a way to go faster than three hours and 35 minutes for a game. It's too long. It'll never happen. So I mean, whatever you want to, whatever you guys want to hypothesize about and how to do it, uh, the athletes are too good. It's too much of a battle, and it's going to continue to be long games no matter what they do. And they're just either either society is going to adapt to three hours and 13 minutes, or the sport becomes boxing or horse racing or cricket. Uh, and becomes not, it becomes a non-event and it goes away. Uh, but there is no fix. And I, I'll continue to tell you, I mean, we can talk 10 years from now, and the three hours and 15 minutes is no fix. Now, there is a way to fix it. That is the limit to go to six or seven inning games. And then you can um, fix it. I don't think you're not you're, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I would never be, in, I'd never be in favor of 
I'd never be in favor of something like that, but I, I do think that do they've got to find a way to make this game go much more quicker than it is. And you also, you just can't have teams, you know, striking out 23 times. Uh, That's 25% of all balls were not even hit. None of that's going to change. you under, got to understand, none of that will ever change again. It's not going to go back. It is not fixable. It's just going to be what it is. Players aren't paid for batting average. Players aren't paid ball in play. Players are paid to put the ball over the fence and in the gaps. Yeah, but not everybody hard. can't hit it over the fence. What's that? Everybody can't hit it over the fence. He makes a comparison. No, I don't want to go back. Ball. He makes a comparison between Rod Carew in his article. In this article, I'm talking about. He makes a comparison between Rod Carew and today. You know, and uh, I mean, he was a magic wand. He, was a, he could do anything. Uh, but to me, I mean, 17 strikeouts. I mean, you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there watching a guy strike out. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but get used to it is what I'm saying. You're not going to change it. You can keep wishing for it, and you can keep saying that it can't continue. But guess what? Ten years from now, we're still going to be talking about guys that are going to be striking out. If, if the well, players I'm do, just blowing in the wind, I guess. But, Roger, go no, ahead. I, I just, I, I, just only, I, get, I, yeah, I love a great baseball guy. But it just goes on and on and on, and and even I have a tough time. And I can't imagine, you know, of course what's happening now is that uh, the younger generation doesn't really care about the game. They don't root for a team. They're all betting now. It's all on how much they bet on a pitcher, how much they bet on a hitter, how much they bet on whatever happens. Uh, Same in football. They don't follow a team like we did years ago in Philly. You follow the Eagles, you follow the Philly. They follow betting. I mean, that's all they're interested in these young – 35 and under, but Roger, right. you're up. Well, uh, Steve, I, you know, I understand what you're saying. We've talked about this mm-hmm. many times. Uh, I am with Don and, and the, uh, there wasn't there some uh, uh, talk about eliminating the shift in those, the negotiations uh, during sure. the lockout. Yeah. You I thought there was. Yeah, you can eliminate the shift. It's not going to speed the game up. It's not going to make the game better. All it's going to do, all it's going to do is, is have teams be a little bit more creative. And for every hit that the shift takes away, now that when you don't, the, the, the actual, you read articles about it. Mathematically, you're not looking at much of a difference or a variance in batting average and balls in play. I mean, basically, you're not going to force a team, like, for instance, when the third baseman goes all the way over, blah, 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 you're not going to change that dynamic. The third baseman's not going to stand at the third base position uh, because they're not allowed to shift. He's going to go to the shortstop position, and the shortstop's going to go as close to second base as they're allowed. When they get to the point where the, uh, you know, the guy plays in short right field, teams are going to use a left center fielder and a guy at the right field line, and they're going to put another fielder right in between them and leave the entire left field corner open and let the third baseman cover that whole line out there so it's not going to really change the dynamic there is no fix i don't care what anybody tries to do ban it go ahead ban the shift it doesn't matter if, if that if, if banning the shift made the game more exciting that means the game's going to be even longer so it kind of goes counterintuitive the, the idea would be there be only more way you can counter it steve is you got to be able to have hitters that can hit the ball all over the field that's the only that's way you're right. going to counter you're not going to, you're, there's no way if you're going to have 17 strikeouts you're not going to be moving the ball around. You're not even making contact. So that's never going to happen. If you're correct and the game stays like this, 
forget the shift. It's not going to make any difference. Right. But the funny thing is, with guys striking out this much, run scoring is as high as it's ever been, except for the late late 90s. So teams are scoring runs like everybody wants, but nobody likes the way they're scoring runs because it's not there's not enough action in the scoring run. They, well, I don't think pitching is as good as it was before either, Steve. What's that? Overall, I said I don't think pitching is what we've had in the past when you had dominating pitchers that would like Steve Carlton. Did he ever pitch um, a, a game over three hours, a, a nine-inning game? I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe he has. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he just would pitch, and he was a, a machine. And the same thing yeah. with the great pitchers that we that we grew up with that were our heroes. Robin Roberts. I mean, Don Newcomb. Uh, okay. You know, great pitchers. Ever, and, but here, here's my point, okay? Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson. Well, here, yeah, here's my point. There are pure – there are baseball fanatics. There are baseball – average fans, and then there are the very baseball fan once goes to one a couple of games a year, okay? I happen to be in the, in the first group, and that's what you are, and that's what Don is. But the thing is, you're losing the other two groups. And Don, as Don said, the kids now, it's fantasy. And this is uh, coming out a lot about the NFL, too, about gambling. Fantasy games are gambling, whether anybody wants to agree with it or not. And then when Ridley gets a year's suspension for betting, and, you know, Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame for what he did, and now baseball, football, all these sports are have taken on all these gambling houses. And, I, you know, you, you look here in Atlanta, who, who has the sports network? Bally's. And you're going to see what? that more and more. I made that prediction a couple of years ago. So they, 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 this is what – go ahead. Yeah, they manage all the re- – almost all the regional sports networks are Bally's, but they're not owned by Bally's. Bally's promotes them, and the idea was to get live betting. But going back to Ridley versus Rowe, as you realize that Ridley had stepped away from the team. He was yeah, they, they want to be able to set up booths right in the stadium to have live betting. And yeah. They should. Good thing. You know, it's time to it's time to move baseball forward. We're not going to move baseball back. We're not going to be able to move baseball back to Bob Gibson and Robin Roberts and less strikeouts and quick games. Right. So you have to find a way to move baseball forward. Forget about us. We don't care. They don't. Baseball obviously doesn't care about. And they haven't for some time. What they care about is how can they generate as much money per game. You know, but what about the, games being thrown, like back with the uh, White Sox? When you have all this gambling going on, like in Philadelphia, you can go to the uh, casino uh, and and go from the casino to either at any of the three venues with uh, with walking distance, right. like a half what, a mile. Other than Ridley being mentally unstable, other than Ridley being mentally unstable at the time that he made his bets. And he bet $1,100 on parlays, and, and it cost him $11 million. Now, you take the 99.999% of professional athletes, and you say, here's what you can do. You can bet $50,000 on this game and risk your entire future in baseball or football and win maybe 50000 or 100000 
uh, that's, that, that there's not really a threat of that. Ridley is a completely stepped away from the game for mental reasons, okay? In his mind, he had left the NFL. He wasn't with the Atlanta Falcons when he made the bet. He wasn't with the NFL when he made the bets. Now, their interpretation, going back, didn't uh, – a couple uh, – didn't Mickey Mantle have to get suspended for a year, or was it Paul Horning? Help me out, guys. I'm not that No, old. it was Paul <laughs> Horning and Alex Harris. Okay. That's so correct. Time and find two guys that got suspended for gambling before they had casinos and stuff in the, uh, um, in the, in the thing. So the argument's kind of bunk. I would say don't worry about players and gambling because there's too much at risk for the players. The Black Sox – we're getting paid more than like two years salary to throw those games back then. That's what that was about. They were getting more than two years of th- some of them more than five years of their salary was get was promised to them in exchange for that's when gamblers had the control. You've got to be and excuse me. You have to have a problem in the brain to gamble as a professional athlete on your sport right now. Um, and Steve, my, my last question, Steve, because we got Billy Warnell ready to come on, and we want to want to chat with Billy oh. about a host of things in Philadelphia and what's going on. So, my my last question is this: What is baseball going to do when the Super Bowl draws 150, almost 200 million people watching it, and the World Series has 12 million? What you know? There's got to be as, something wrong. As I referenced earlier, gentlemen. If baseball doesn't find a way to move forward, not backwards, move forward, they will become horse racing, which used to be the king of sports in America, boxing, which if you would have told 25-year-old Stevie boy that the heavyweight fights wouldn't be like the biggest thing in the world in 2022, I would have laughed at you. They'll become boxing, cricket, or, or horse racing. And that, that's what they have to do. They have to find a way to advance the sport forward. And hopefully you and I and everybody on this call will enjoy baseball for a couple more years. And God willing, it becomes more exciting because, like you said, there's a lot of problems with the game, and I've never argued with you guys that there are certainly problems in the game. Well, Steve, thank you very much. And as uh, George Will said, baseball deal, after the lockout, doesn't really fix any of the big problems. And I couldn't agree more. And and, uh, our next guest Talk of Philadelphia. Have Steve, thank you so Take much. Care, Look Steve. forward to you joining us again we soon. Yep. Thanks, thank guys. you. Take care. You too. Billy Wardell sitting in the wings. And, uh, William, you, you heard the end of the last conversation. You and I have talked about gambling and what's going on in the world mm-hmm. of sports, in all sports, not just baseball, but in, in all the sports. And now it, it really dominates the TV, every commercial. Gambling has become the story of games. Don, it's almost become unwatchable. Every time yeah. they go to the other half inning, they go to the next half inning or a break, it's two-and-a-half-point favorite right now, the 76ers. Uh, it, it, football, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, it's taking the total enjoyment. NCAA tournament, every time you turn on the TV, there they go, more gambling, more gambling. I wonder how many people have lost their house, lost their car, lost their families because – They've just gone overboard and over their head. But this is another revenue stream for these professional sports and college sports to live off. But, you know, I'm expecting, like anything else, a major scandal. Will they be able to cover it up? Probably not. And people say, what's the big deal? You know, 
You know, I bet a few dollars on a game. Come on. But, you know, again, I, I can't wait to see that day when they have a major scandal and how the leagues or the NCAA handles it. Well, the other thing is, and, uh, you know, I may be totally wrong in this regard, but uh, I, I just think that all you're doing is bringing the younger pe- young people into the game to gamble. You're not bringing them in for the love of the game. You're not bringing them in because they like baseball or football. They like gambling. And, uh, you know, this is age bracket between, I'll say, uh, 40 and, and uh, 18. Uh, I, I just think they're putting themselves in a terrible position. God, we probably won't see that day, but, you know, you, you look back and you mentioned the love of the game, fantasy sports, you know. I want to pick this guy from the Eagles. I'm going to pick this guy from the Cowboys. I'm going to pick this guy from the Phillies and all that stuff. How can you root for a team when you're invested in fantasy sports? Right. All right? How can you really root for a team when you're you're tied up on fantasy? How's my team doing? How's my team doing? Not – how are the Phillies doing? It's how my team is doing. And I, I just think it's so ridiculous. I mean, I know it's here to stay, but fantasy sports, it is a bore to me. Roger? And that's Bill, another form of gambling, with, Doc. I, it, it is. It is. And that was my point earlier, Bill. And the uh, fantasy sports is gambling. And the kids are doing it, and uh, it's 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 just it's heartbreaking because we grew up, you know, loving a team, the players, individual, have pictures on their wall. I mean, on our walls, and uh, it's just, it's it's awful. And I I get sick of it. And when we're talking about speeding up baseball, all you had to do was watch the World Series and see how long. Uh, the uh, the space was with the commercials between, uh, you know, top of the inning, bottom of the inning, and innings. I mean, they were so long, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. That's a way to speed it up, too. But I got to tell yeah. you, I don't know what's going to happen with uh, gambling. I, I hope there is a scandal in my lifetime so I can see how the, t- the, uh, the leagues handle it and the NCAA. Because I got to tell you, you can't tell me that the commissioner of football or baseball or whatever hasn't played some kind of, uh, of a chance, uh, like, you know, the Super Bowl pool, you know, with the boxes and all that yep. stuff. Yep. I, I can't believe that they haven't played that some kind, some way or another. No, no question about it. But, again, we don't have leadership in sports today. These yep. commissioners let the, uh, the teams dictate what they want. And, you know, there's not really a commissioner that has a hammer, whether it's Roger Goodell, Rob Manford, uh, uh, the uh, commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver. They don't have a hammer anymore. They're not for the best interest of the fans. They're the best interest of how much money we can put in the pockets of the owners and players. And the other thing is I don't think people can relate with the kind of money these players are making today. I mean, when you talk about the mega million dollars, I mean, Philly's just signed uh, Kyle Schwarber, four years, $79 million. Kyle Schwarber is an average, the below average defensive player, and he's, he's a good hitter. That's all. He's not an all-around baseball player. I mean, and you look at the Phillies lineup. They have more butchers in the field than Dietz and Watson right. has in their kitchen. Really. <laughs> 
Deshaun really, Watson's I better. Mean, <laughs> I mean, Hoskins can't play first base. They don't have a shortstop. Didi Gregorius does not have the, the type of range you want for a shortstop anymore. Alex Bohm is still a work in progress. All right? At left field, you have Schwarber, who's not very good. We don't know who the center fielder is. It's, let's make a deal. We'll let it turn up, Beerling or one of those guys. And Harper's an okay right fielder. But this team is poor defensively, and that's the way you win games, pitching and defense. But they think they're going to be able to mash teams in the, uh, the National League and win the division that way. I don't think so. Well, Billy, let me interrupt you for a second. That's all. <laughs> When you read the previews, and we'll talk about other clubs as we go along, but as you read the previews on the Phillies, they think they're going to outscore everybody. They're not talking about pitching. They're not talking about the bullpen. They're not talking about defense. They think they're going to score so many runs in every game that they're going to win. It doesn't happen that way. Don, let's harken back to what we were youngsters. The Cincinnati Reds had Ted Klozuski at first base. They had uh, Ray Jablonski at third base, Frank Robinson, Gus Bell, Wally Post, Ed Bailey. They were masters. Where they family world championship did they deliver? Zero. They had no pitching and no defense. All right. Yeah. The only the only None. defense was at shortstop, Bill Roy <laughs> McMillan, and that Johnny Temple at second base. But that was it. And, yeah, Temple. Yeah. But they it. they did not have a great pitching staff. And they didn't have defense. If you have defense and pitching, you prefer to get, get about the postseason. No, yeah, they had Bailey behind the play strictly as an offensive player, not a defensive player. No, and, no. Uh, you're right. I mean, it was a it was an offensive team with very very little defense, except for McMillan, who was a class shortstop. No question about that. But why do you evaluate right now, Billy, as we look at the the Mets, where they are, uh, where the Braves are? where the Phillies are, how do you look at the National League East at this particular moment? I'll be very honest with you. I don't want to be a guy that reigns uh, reigns on anybody's parade. First of all, the Braves are the class of the division. The owner of the Mets is going to spend $300 million on payroll or more. He wants to win. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't worry about the luxury tax. He wants to win. The Marlins are a very good young team. Got a lot of young players who I expect to be breaking out this year and really being a formidable force in the National League East. Then you have Washington and Philadelphia. I give the nod to Washington right now. I think the Phillies right now, as they're they're constructed, they're a last-place team in the division. Agree or disagree, gentlemen? I don't know. I I mean, you know, if you go by, like Don said, what they're uh, they're thinking Don, is, is Don, you see them being a, a viable playoff contending team? No way, no way. I, Bill, you and I talked to all last year, and every time the Phillies got up by four, three or four games, I said, Billy, they're not going to be in the playoffs. They're not. Gonna, you can't take a bullpen unless they can prove to me that these. Minor changes they made the bullpen are going to be significant. If you can prove that to me, then I say, okay, they have a chance to get into the eighth or ninth inning and win a game. But last year, they get into the eighth or ninth inning, and they would lose every game because they had no bullpen. And I don't think they've improved it that much. I don't think so either. And, Don, 
What about the big question mark, the big horse on the mound, Zach Wheeler? How concerned are you with Zach Wheeler, Roger and Don, huh? Well, you can't afford to lose Zach Wheeler for a week, much less a month yeah. or three weeks. You've you, you got to have Zach Wheeler on, on the mound that he's got to be. Not only that, but he's got to be performing like he did last year, which was an right. outstanding year for him, much better than any other year he had in Major League Baseball. And Nola's was the, one of his worst. Okay, he went down. I, the, right. I think the I, I do believe the bullpen's going to be better because I'm a big fan of uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez. And uh, from I met him at the airport, Bill, when he was uh, being picked up uh, by the limo driver to take him up to uh, Lehigh Valley because Redding was, I think, up in Maine or someplace. And then two weeks later or less, he's on the Phillies. And then he had the surgery, and, and I saw yesterday, we talked about it earlier, three up and he three, three strikeouts. I think that uh, if he uh, comes around like I think he will, I think he could really help the bullpen. I, I'm sure you probably agree with that. But I don't know no about everybody that, else. Yeah, question marks on the after Wheeler. Nola has yeah. been a non-factor in the month of September. All right. Yeah. Kyle Gibson's a good fifth, fourth or fifth starter in your rotation. Ranger Suarez, I think, is an upgrade in the rotation. But they have too many question marks for me. You yeah. can't have as many question marks as the Phillies have right now and expect to contend for a playoff spot. Well, and don't does they don't have a minor league system yet. You know, they're working on it. But I agree with you about the Braves. I think they are uh, the best in the East. And I think uh, we all I think, agree on that. I think we all yeah. agree that they're the best in the East. I, I mean, they knew they were going to lose Freddie Freeman, uh, and that's why they went out and made the move. And, you know, it's always better to be a year early than a year, than a year late, right, when you uh, get rid of a player. No Billy, before uh, let me, I want to touch on a couple other sports before we, uh, you know, before we get back to baseball, and that is, how in the world can a team like the Brooklyn Nets make a trade for Simmons with a bad disc in his back, making all that money, and now can't play? I mean, you tell me. How do you do something like that? And how and about may never you mentioned the seventies? Yeah, you mentioned the seventy-sixers at the top. They're pl- they're playing tonight. What they're playing in L.A. tonight? I think I I, I, yeah, I watch that game later on. Huh? It's ten o'clock. Right, they're in L.A. Yeah, yeah. I'll watch that game later tonight. But uh, how about the Sixers? Where where do you think they stand? Well, Don, they're much like the Dow Jones Industrials. Some nights they look like world beaters. <laughs> other nights they look like an average basketball team. All right. I mean, the other night without Harden and, and Embiid, they beat uh, Miami, you know, and beat him convincingly. Maxi really stepped up. But they've got to get their bench in order. That's the most important thing. Their bench rotation for the playoffs. Is Shake Milton going to be that guy? Is Corkman going to be a guy coming off the bench? Danny Green. Because that's so important when you play a game every other night. And because you can't depend on Embiid and Harden to carry this team. You've got to have a strong bench. And if they don't have a strong bench in the playoffs, they're home for the holidays. Look, if they don't make the the Eastern Conference Finals, that was a bad trade, in my opinion. A bad trade. Because 
even though Simmons is not playing, this team has to make the Eastern Conference Finals because they're all in with Hardman and Bede for the next two years. Well, Bill, let me, let me ask you this, and, and as, as we talk about the 76ers, and uh, you're right there in Philadelphia. You see it every day, and ever since this thing about the disc in his back came out two or three days ago, uh, is there any culprit in this? Are, are the Sixers responsible at all, or is all on the hands of the Brooklyn Nets? Well, they, they could have given him a extensive physical. Obviously, they didn't give him the type of physical that – he needed, and now they may not have him for the rest of the year. Absolutely. Problem. Don, the, 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 the Nets dropped the ball. They absolutely dropped the ball. I haven't seen the best uh, doctors in the world. I haven't gone to two or three doctors to make sure he was healthy. He could help my team. By not doing that, they didn't do their due diligence, and it's ridiculous. Roger? Well, absolutely. Uh, but that's what you're dealing with with Simmons. That's why I, I wonder whether he'll ever play another game in the NBA. He's interested in just collecting his money and partying, and, and he's got a guaranteed contract. Okay? Uh, you know, I mean, the guy, I don't know. There's, there's too many of them in sports today. So, believe me, in my opinion. Again, again, does he really want to play the game? If you're no. a competitor and you don't have every element to your game, if you're a championship caliber player, you want to improve the weak parts of your game. You want to make sure you take your game to another level. You, you, you know, yeah, he's a great passer. He's a great rebounder, but he can't shoot. You got right. a great shooting coach in this area, Herb McGee. If yeah. I'm Ben Simmons, I pick up the phone and say, Herb, what time you want me at your gym? I'll be there any time you want me to be there. He didn't do that. He's, as you said, Roger, he's happy getting $189 million, and he's just laughing all the way to the bank. That's it. And like they said, a sucker's born every minute, and the Sixers were the first sucker, and now the Nets are the second sucker. That's right. Billy, let's go to your Bailey work quickly before we run out of time, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles, you work with them on the broadcast every week. Uh, uh, you've seen the uh, uh, additions to the uh, and getting into the playoffs this year with a 500 record. You've seen the quarterback situation that bounced around. Uh, as we look forward to the draft if, and all the trades that have been made, maybe you want to comment on some of those too. But how about the Eagles? Where do they stand now uh, looking ahead to where uh, they want to go? Well, I think this year is the year that Jalen Hurts has got to really step it up. He's got to take control of the situation. He's got to be that quarterback that they thought they'd have when they drafted him in the second round. I mean, look, they made some mistakes in the draft the last couple of years. Jalen Rager, they've got to move on from him as quickly as possible. Andre Dillard, a mistake. J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, a mistake. So those guys, they've made big mistakes on early draft picks. They have three first-round picks. If I'm Howie Roseman, I'm moving up and down the draft board, trying to get more picks and really fortify my team for the future. You look at the Eagles' defense, it's one of the worst in the National Football League. Age in the secondary, Darius Slay's 32 years old. 
I don't understand why they brought Fletcher Cox back. I just cannot believe it. I mean, they brought him back for, for a reduced salary. I'm hoping that they, after June 1st, they trade him. If somebody loses somebody in the OTAs, because Fletcher Cox is not going to play up to his capabilities. He's an unhappy camper now. They, 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 they took the rug from under him. They could have traded him last year before the trade deadline for a couple threes, and they decided not to. I don't know why, but they decided to keep Fletcher Cox. I mean, as, as Roger alluded to, the great statement by Branch Rickey, trade him a year too early rather than a year too late. And so many of these franchises, general managers fall in love with players. The only person you should fall in love with are your children and your wife, all right? Not players. Players are a commodity, and you move commodities up and down. But it's just ridiculous. You know, Jason Kelsey gets $14 million. Right, yeah, he wouldn't make that much money during his career. $14 million. Pull out the video of the Tampa Bay Eagles playoff game. Vita Vea, the, the Via, the big nose tackle from Tampa Bay, ate Jason Kelsey for lunch. Just beat him up. And you don't think teams are going to look at that and say, if we want to beat the Eagles, we have to put a guy right over Jason Kelsey and take advantage of his size. He's undersized at center. Roger? Well, but uh, he's considered a Hall of Famer, uh, you know, uh, at center. Uh, but I know what you're, what you're saying. Who, who's uh, standards, Roger? Roger. Well, I'm who's just talking standards? about maybe it's just the fans, okay? That could be, uh, you know. Well, you but, know uh, I mean, when you talk about Hall of Famer, it's got to be a difference maker. Hall oh, of Famers are guys that make a difference. Jason Kelsey was a very good player. I don't consider him a Hall of Famer. Maybe the Eagles uh, Hall of Fame, but not the NFL Hall of Fame. Well, the, well, uh, the thing is today, look at uh, at some of the uh, inductees into the Hall of Fame. There, if you look at their records, they're suspect compared to what you and Don and I and Frank uh, would consider a Hall of Famer. I mean, we talked about about Matt Ryan going from the Falcons to the Colts. I think it's a good move for Matt. I think it's a good move for the Colts. And I think he still has some uh, uh, some uh, fuel left in him. And I'll tell you, I, because they re, the Colts rebuilt that uh, offensive line, and then uh, the, uh, the uh, if you look at last year, uh, Matt Ryan was just sacked so many times because the Falcons have as long as I've been around, they they, they uh, just have never really had a great offensive line. So, uh, you know, but there's a lot of people that think Matt Ryan is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't, I don't know think so. Think. Very good player, but not a Hall of Famer. A Hall of Famer's got to be a difference maker. And I think we've diluted every Hall of Fame. We have. Baseball, football, yeah. basketball, hockey. He's got to be somebody to say, I want to go out and see this guy play. Well, when I was a kid, oh, really I agree made, with you, 100%. Yeah. You know, again, just putting people in the Hall of Fame for the sake of putting them in. I mean, this year, Dick Vermeil will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What the hell took him so long to put Vermeil in the Hall of Fame? What he did with the Eagles, 
no draft picks, no free agency, nothing. And he took them to the, 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 the Super Bowl in less than four years. That is and the Rams too, coach. Billy. The Rams too. The Rams, he won a Super Bowl, and he was very good with the Kansas City Chiefs. All right? So it's ridiculous. When you say – you look at a guy and you say, man, that guy is a Hall of Famer. I remember I had the opportunity to watch Bob Brown play right tackle for the Eagles, the most devastating offensive tackle I've ever seen play in the game. It took him years to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he didn't politic, did not politic. And people who were voting for the Hall of Fame didn't understand how good a player he was because he didn't talk to the media. doesn't talk to the media. Steve Carlton didn't talk to the media. He went to the Hall of Fame. I just get so tired of people saying, well, well, well. Joe DiMaggio, three ballots. Three times he missed out on the Hall of Fame. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's totally absurd. Billy, what about, uh, what about the trade the Cleveland Browns made? And, of course, we got a uh, local Philadelphian coach in that team right now. But uh, what do you think about the Cleveland Browns? Did they assure themselves at least a great run at the Super Bowl with that move or no? Yes, they, they have. But it all contingent about one thing. If Watson suspended six or seven games, that changes the dynamic. Remember, right. he's only going to make a million dollars this year. All the other money is deferred. So they are bracing themselves for a suspension. He plays the entire year. They have a legitimate shot to go all the way. And the fine is based on a million dollars, okay? That's uh, exactly based on right. Based your salary. Yeah. A million dollars. That's all he's getting. I just, I just have a feeling, and I, I could be 100% incorrect. I just have a feeling that uh, somewhere along the line, the commissioner of the National Football League is going to say, well, he's already spent one year out of the game. He's already been, even though not suspended, even though he got all, all his money, he, he was not able to play for one year. We're going to use that one year as a buffer going into this year. I think they're going to do something like that and give him time to play. Now, I may be wrong. That would be a you big be mistake, right. Don. Big mistake. A tremendous mistake by the NFL. He has to be suspended this year. I don't care if he didn't take one snap last year. He has got to be suspended minimum six games this year if the commissioner has any guts whatsoever. And I well, we're going to find that. out. <laughs> <laughs> well, last but not least, Bill, what about what about the Flyers? What are, they uh, they seem to be floundering and floundering and floundering. Don't know exactly where they're going to go. How about the National Hockey League of the Flyers before we run out of time? Don, if they apply for federal funds quick enough, the Flyers <laughs> can get them. Really, they are a colossal mess right now. I don't know where you start. Is it goaltending? Is it scoring? Is it defense? They have many, many problems. And I don't think this is a one- or two-year fix. This has got to be a total revamping of this roster. And uh, I, Do they I, have the administrative uh, talent to do it, Billy? That's the key, Don. Do they have the administrative? This is Chuck Fletcher's final foray. If he doesn't change the dynamics of this hockey team and see an uptick. I'm not saying being the, 
the Stanley Cup Finals next year, but see an uptick, maybe knocking on the playoff door. If you don't see that next year, all right, improvement, drastic improvement, then you have to get a new general manager. Obviously, they're going to get a new coach, but that's where Chuck Fletcher stands right now. Roger? Well, I, I wonder what uh, Ed Snyder would do if he was still around, Bill. I don't think it just Probably ever would have happened. Probably you sell think the so? franchise. No, no, I'm just being facetious. Yeah. I, well, no, I, 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 I just – I think well, you're uh, – here, Here's one thing about Ed Snyder. He was a knee-jerk reaction guy. Sometimes you got to step back and say, let things play out. I mean, when they signed that Russian goaltender, Brzezgalov, yeah. he told the, the powers to be, we got to get a goaltender. Instead of listening to his people, many times Ed would do things at, at, on a knee-jerk reaction. Look, the Flyers have not won a Stanley Cup since 1975. Right. 75. Right. Prehistoric times in sports. Mm-hmm. The cavemen were still roaming the, the world <laughs> at that time. But Billy, you got to remember one thing: when Ed Snyder, when Ed Snyder had Keith Allen as the general manager, he didn't run over Keith gentlemen. Allen. Keith Allen made no. all the moves. Keith Allen's the one that put the team on the map. That's why they call him Keith the Thief, because he made so many great trades: <laughs> the Reggie Leach deal, the Bernie Perron right. deal. You, you, you look at Keith Allen had a Eye for talent, a nose for talent, and he was like Lamorella is right now with the with the with the, you know you you look at what Lamorella does and, and he, you know he he makes moves that people don't believe but all of a sudden he's got a team that's pretty competitive. Don, that's the key thing. You cannot fall in love with players, all right? You just can't do that because that gets you in a lot of trouble. As I said. You have to use players as pawns. And a lot of times, franchises, because they don't want to have the backlash from the fans. Hey, I'm sorry. If you want to be a great team and be a competitive team year in and year out, vying for a championship, you can't have hearts and flowers. Great for Valentine's Day. Not good when you're running a major franchise. Roger, we'll let you wind this segment up. Well, just to back up what Bill said, I mean, the uh, Braves, perfect example of uh, with losing uh, Freddie Freeman. You know, they would have give, gave him a nice deal five years, but wouldn't give the six year. And they, and they got proactive and made a move because they uh, figured they were going to lose him. So, I mean. But Roger, you know, Roger and Billy think of this. They made a, pro, they made a, a bold move at the trading deadline last year and got to the World Series because what their general manager did. This is just well, following up That's yeah, on the great moves he made last year. You're exactly right. right. And they've lost some it, of those guys already. Well, but the well thing yeah, is, one of them they, here in Florida. They, yeah. They, they decided, hey, we've got to really add to our, our outfield. If we're going to be competitive and make a run at the World Series, we've got to solidify our outfield. What did the Phillies do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. That really surprised me because they're talking about, you know, I mean, history shows that he's one of the best general managers uh, to come along, whether it was in Detroit or whether it was in Boston or wherever. 
you know, that he was able to develop uh, a farm system in a major league town and make good trades. Uh, but uh, I, I just don't understand what he's done since he's been in Philadelphia. He just uh, – maybe it's me. I, I don't know. Maybe well, he knows well, more than I do, and this team's going to be competitive. I agree with you, Billy. I don't think they're going to be competitive. Well, well I think I, I that think Dombrowski that... has done some things. I think that – listen, Glenn Tack and McPhail tore, tore the whole thing down because they didn't do a squat, okay, for five years. And they signed Mickey Moniak, who's still not in the major leagues, really. Uh, guys like that. Well, but first I think of all, you that he, mentioned Mickey Moniak. Roger, but how about the first-round picks? Cornelius Randolph gets through the list of guys. Adam Hazley, people like that. Oh, that's they what I'm saying, round picks. It was five you years. You can't make it mistakes was awful. every year. Every you year. You can't make mistakes on players. And also – this analytics has destroyed the Phillies. Absolutely yes, destroyed absolutely. them. It was all tied in. It was Gabe Kabler. It was Clintac. But what I'm saying is I think Dombrowski has done a lot of good, but it takes time to build up the minor league system again and get the prospects. I was really impressed with their draft that they had uh, in, what was it, last uh, spring, right? And uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was a great, uh, a great draft. And I, I think it's great that you go for the college players. I think they're a lot more mature than an 18-year-old coming out of high school. I really do. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes to build up that farm system. Because when you I'm with you, Billy. I'm with you 100%. Hey, we're just out of time in this segment. Bill, I, I want to thank you, as always, very, very much. The man who knows more about sports, not only in Philadelphia, but around the country. And we have a great chance to hear him. He joins us, fortunately, and uh, every now and then and, and every every time he does. Uh, we we, you know, we have a great group of guests. Uh, we had, you know, Roy Cummings was on earlier. Uh, Steve Kinsella was on earlier. Billy Wurntel was on. And, uh, Billy, so thank you very, very much. Continued success in Philadelphia. And I'll be home in about another six weeks and have a chance to see you then. Why are you coming home? Wait till June when the weather is real nice. Real nice. Don't wait till May to come up. Real nice. I can't, I, I can't leave it till I can't leave it till the analytics tell me to go. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Hey, take care. I know, you de- I know you depend on those every day before you uh, go to the uh, office. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I want to regurgitate when I hear analytics. All right, Billy. Thank you. Take right, care, bye-bye. Bill. Thank you, as always. <laughs> All right, we switch over now. we got a, a number of sports to talk with uh, with Mike Simzak about because he's down in Washington, Baltimore. A lot of things happening there. Baltimore, uh, for Washington, finally got themselves a quarterback. Uh, the, the Capitals are doing some business. Uh, uh, they got the second-leading scorer of all time playing well for them. Uh, so, Mike, I'll tell you, you got a lot of things going for you, but soccer is your game. Is there something you want to start off with the MLS first, or you want to go in another direction? Don, Mike's not on. It's Doug. Doug oh, I thought I said Mike was there. Pardon? Hmm. No, Mike didn't show up today. Oh, he's not on at okay. all. No. Okay. Okay. Then we'll we'll uh, we got a lot of other things to talk about. So uh, I would have kept Billy Wardell on a little bit longer. I, I yeah. Didn't wanna, I didn't want to mess him up because. He had some stuff to do tonight, and he said, can I get out in time? And I said, I definitely get you out in time. Don't worry about it. But uh, going back, Roger, as you said, 
you're hopeful that the general manager is going to be able to somehow in two or three years build up the foreign system that can be competitive because the Braves are not only good now, but they've got a farm system. The Mets are not only good now, but they've got a farm system coming along. Uh, The National League is in a situation where the teams that have have a lot and the teams that do not do not have anything. So I I think it's going to be an interesting year in terms of how the haves do and how the have-nots do. I bring up the Padres. Every year the Padres are going to make two or three big moves. They're going to contend with the Dodgers. Last year (laughs) they spent all that money and contend. What were they, 18 games behind at the end of the season? I mean, uh, and and uh, uh, this new contract that the owners and players have agreed upon. I mean, how many people are going to come see Baltimore play? How many people are going to come see Pittsburgh play? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me when you don't have competition. Uh, what makes the National Football League is that anybody can win. You, you, you know, you're not going to you're not going to lose every game, but uh, you can't sit there for three hours watching a team like Baltimore that can't win. Well, you're exactly right, Don. And I think, you know, the NFL, the, the, they have parity because of uh, uh, the sharing the revenue, and baseball's never going to do that, unfortunately. Uh, I guess the, NF, the uh, NBA does uh, more, and uh, I guess the NHL, uh, NHL too. I did want to find out, uh, Frank, is, uh, is Doug going to be with us tonight? I know you're, you're, the, you're uh, cutting out, Frank. I can't hear you. Yeah. Doug oh, is, is Doug with us? sitting here waiting to go. Oh, okay. Oh, Doug, okay. okay. Doug is here. I got you now. I, you know, for some reason, when you went to the intercom, it cut out and I didn't hear anything. Okay. Doug Hamilton, we're always yeah. happy to have you join us for our PGA professional. <laughs> uh, not much well, golf down in the Baltimore area right now, but yeah. uh, a lot of golf to talk about. We talked about the players last weekend, and we talked about the tournament here in Tampa this past weekend. And uh, so one thing about golf, it just continues. Doug, regardless of whether it's in the Northeast or where, it goes somewhere and it plays every week. Very true. Um, I think uh, the big news that I saw recently is that uh, Phil Mickelson is not going to play in the Masters. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because – there was an undercurrent in the papers about a week ago that even though they weren't announcing it, that he was technically under suspension, that he wasn't talking about being under suspension and that the PGA was not talking about being under suspension. All they were saying was that he has to give them a call before uh, they can settle whatever differences they have. So I'm not sure if it's a suspension or whether he just decided not to play in the tournament. What do you think? I think it's, you know, basically when someone says, look, we're going to fire you, but we're going to give you the uh, the option to resign first. I think it's a very similar situation. I think that, you know, the, the, the PGA Tour, in my belief, is trying to kind of sweep this under the rug and, and make this his decision of, you know what, I'm I'm going to sit this one out because I think it's, it's probably best. Um, and, I'll be honest with you. You you asked me about this a few weeks back, and I honestly I I didn't pay much attention to it, and I had a chance to take a look at it. And and all this uh, discussion and him not playing in tournaments and him getting um, dropped by his sponsors and put on hold by Callaway and you know the 
the cancel culture that we live in now, which is ridiculous. This is all over the Saudi golf tour where basically he said, some of it I can't repeat, but he said basically the, the Saudis are scary MFers is basically what he said. He said that, that people get ostracized and killed because they're gay. He said that, um, you know, the, the Saudis killed an American journalist. He said that you get executed for your beliefs and, and all these different things. And he goes, why would I want to play on that tour? And I hate to say it, but, I mean, I, I like Phil Mickelson more now than I ever did before based on what yeah. he said because he, was, he wasn't wrong. There's nothing that yeah. he said that was factually untrue. But, unfortunately, we live in this – very soft society where everything you say can and will offend somebody. So now all of a sudden they're making him backtrack. He had to put a statement out. His Twitter account is, is basically untouchable. You can't reach him. And he's crawling yeah, under the gotta, You got you to gotta admit, though, that he also, uh, you know, he and the Shark really wanted to challenge the PGA. They wanted to change a lot of the authoritative things that the PGA does. It wasn't just what he said about the Saudis. And, and the other thing was that when it came out, he said he was misquoted, that all this information that came out uh, in the right. topic, <clears throat> the author or the, or the sports writer that wrote it, uh, he was talking to him off the record. Well, it could have been off the record, obviously. He would have, he would have put it in, the, you know, in his column to begin with. But, uh, you know, he didn't admit to the fact, oh, yeah, well, I made a mistake. Well, you know, again, I think there's nothing that he said that was factually untrue. And right. for right. someone for someone to step up and say, look, this is what I think, this is, you know, and he's right. Now all of a sudden we're going to criticize, not we, but the media and, and the, the liberal media, I should say, is going to criticize him for, oh, well, you can't, you can't say, you can't say that. That's, you know, that, that's, you got to apologize. And then we're just going to slap you on the wrist and do all these things and, I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's another microcosm of the world we live in that suggests you can't speak your mind unless you say the things that you're supposed to say. And you know, it's you know, we we talk about this all the time with you know the younger generations of kids that that don't want to work. We talk about you know all the politics and stuff, and it's it's ridiculous. It actually it it makes I mean you know and. Greg Norman's been a pain in the rear end of the PGA for years and wanted to start this tour as a spite, you know, against them. Absolutely. Whatever. I mean, you know, he needs to go away too. You know what I mean? It's, you know, I I can't say that in in, in terms of working in tandem to make some changes to the tour and how they do certain things, I can't say is a terrible thing, but, you know, you know, I mean, and, and, and people like Roy McElroy were, were, were outspoken against Phil Mickelson in terms of that whole younger generation of cancel culture. I mean, Roy McElroy can go away too. You know what I mean? That's no one wants to hear from him. Roger. Well, I, I, you know what? I agree with you totally, Doug. And uh, I see it uh, almost every day. Uh, with the way uh, uh, kids are uh, treated in school, cuddled, uh, do no wrong, and, uh, you know, really allowing them, if they don't take a uh, test, don't do an assignment, they have the whole uh, year to, to yeah, do it. For sure. And, and it's, well, it's I mean, absolutely, I had, a, I had a situation the other day, and I went to a girl, and I said, uh, you know, we got uh, five minutes left to get your assignment done. I said, uh, 
She said, I'm working on it. And I, I don't even see anything on your paper. And right. uh, she said to me, uh, I don't like uh, the way you're talking to me. And I said, uh, you don't like it. I said, I'm trying to help you. And I walked away. Right. Now, this yeah, is well, what... Uh, this is what is going on, and this is, sure. and it starts with the parents, and uh, yes. the and forget the curriculum. That's a whole other issue. I'm talking about uh, the uh, attitude, and uh, mm-hmm. you then you see other kids that are in there. They come in, boom, boom, boom. They are right on top of everything, and thank God that uh, I see uh, that type too. They are really. You know what's you know what's funny, uh, Roger. I, this happened to me last year, but I had uh, a member of the club, and she brought her grandson with her, and, and and her grandson couldn't have been more than seven, eight, nine years old. And so this this lady was having a conversation with me, and and her grandson kept, you know, interjecting into the conversation as if he were a part of it. Yeah. So I, I got down I got down on my knee and I looked at this kid and I said, listen. I said, me and your grandmother are having a conversation, okay? So you need to be quiet, and you need not to butt into the conversation. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she never said a word. And the kid the kid stood behind her, grabbed her leg, and was scared to death of me for the, ne- for the next <laughs> 10 minutes. And I right. thought, you know, that's, you know, look, that's kind of the way it ought to be. Look, I mean, and, you know, I, you know, I don't believe in ruling with a culture of fear but you're 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 eight years old you don't count yet as a human being that's the way it should be you know what i mean well i'll when i talk to you you can answer me well i'll (laughs) tell you a friend of mine uh is a uh, optician has a business in winwood pennsylvania right outside of philadelphia don knows frank knows where it is and uh he was was telling me about a a girl a, a customer from lower marion high school which is a suburban uh, high school in Philly. And uh, Mm -hmm. he asked her, do you do the the, uh, Pledge of Allegiance? And she said, oh, yeah, they do the Pledge of Allegiance and they have announcements. And she said, but we're too busy texting. We don't pay attention to it. Well, that's that's the problem Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of kids that rely on, you know, technology and phones and computers and all these different things in an effort to, um, whether it's still relevant or communicate, but you know the the days of of uh, calling somebody or, or having a face to face conversation are starting to fade off with quick. <laughs> That's this younger, that's younger right. They're long gone. Generation, yeah. you know, and and uh, you know the the commonplace handshake deals that I know that you have been a part of over the years, both of you. Um, you know, those are fading for sure because I feel like you know everyone's sending an email and blind carbon copying somebody in an effort to catch you up on something that you said or didn't say uh, so that when it comes crunch time, they can produce this, you know, document that says, Oh, we talked about this on this date and you said this, and now you're not holding up your end of the bargain. So, you know, it's a much different world that we live in now for sure. It certainly is. Let's get back to sports then because right now, and Doug, you're right there in the heart of it, uh, the Ravens mm-hmm. have a little bit of pressure on them at their quarterback position with all these quarterbacks that he signed mm-hmm. for so much money. And Jackson huh. uh, sitting on the sidelines there. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you see that coming out? Has Baltimore got that kind of money that, you know, that they can, uh, you know, renegotiate a contract for seven or yeah. eight, nine years or whatever it may be? Well, 
it remains to be seen exactly what's what's been offered and what's been asked. You know, Lamar doesn't have um, his own agent, and you know certainly this kind of discussion is not going to find its way into mainstream media. So, um, you know, after Lamar's watched all these quarterbacks sign all these massive deals, he's sitting back with a big grin on his face, saying, "Okay, well, you know, I'm an MVP, and I'm." you know, my early 20s and all these guys are getting 30, 40, 50 million dollars and guaranteed contracts and all this different stuff. So um, it's been, it's been in the media here. The only thing that I've heard is you talk about these contracts that, that quarterbacks are signing that are four, five, six, seven, whatever your long deals. I think he only wants a three-year deal. And I think, I think he wants, um, you know, to, to take several bites of this apple um, as it comes to free agency and his opportunity to renegotiate his contract. So I think he's looking for about a three-year deal. And right now he's under under the cat or uh, under the fifth-year option, which is $23 million. And if the Ravens were to franchise him the following season, he'd be in the 40-ish million dollar range. You can franchise tag somebody two years, and so the third year of this deal, if they franchise tag him, would be in the fifty or so million dollar deal. Um, yeah, but don't you sure think uh, he's taking an awful chance looking at a, a three year contract? All these players now yeah. are looking at you know five, six, seven years, and uh, well, and he is so vulnerable to injury. Sure. I would think he'd want well, a long term contract, not a three year deal. Well. Again, I, I think that's, you know, the islands are far apart here in terms of, of, you know, really what's been asked and what's being offered. And, and, you know, I mean, he could very well play this year under the $23 million fifth-year option and, right. you know, sustain a catastrophic industry, you know, injury and, you know, find himself SOL with regard to longevity, as you just mentioned. I don't know how I see this playing out because – there hasn't really been any movement in negotiations. There hasn't been any real point. I think he's completely content to just play the $23 million amount and let it ride. Um, you know, I think it stands to reason that if you're the Baltimore Ravens and he plays this year and stays healthy and you franchise tag him, you know, next year at $40 million, you're going to have to consider trading him at some point if he's not willing to negotiate um, in terms of a long-term deal. You know, and Roger? At, even no, at twenty three no, million dollars, he's he's handicapping the Ravens because they have a lot of needs uh to fill holes in their team and he's not helping them because if they were to actually give him a deal, I think they could lower the twenty three million dollar number by, you know, signing bonuses and all these things that are prorated over the length of the contract. So um you know, it's 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 a problem, I mean, and I don't. Again, I don't know how I see this playing out because there's no agents involved to to have constant conversations, and Lamar doesn't seem like he wants to talk right now. Well, I was talking Roger. about it earlier. Tariq uh, Hill, uh, you know, yeah. uh, didn't they couldn't make a deal with the Chiefs, and uh, they traded him to Miami. They got a lot of draft uh, picks from sure. the, that deal, and uh, he's now signed as the highest paid. Uh, a receiver in the history of the mm-hmm. NFL, as it looks. Well, that's that's the hard part for me to understand or figure out is, so so we started this process with Devontae Adams, who, you know, w- was not going to play under the franchise tag, 
And we understood, I think, that one of the main reasons why um, Aaron Rodgers came back was because he was trying to keep the band together, so to speak, and, and he wanted Devontae right. Adams to be on his team. Right. Then right. all of a sudden, out of left field, you know, Devontae Adams gets traded to the Raiders. And so from an organizational standpoint, they're saying, okay, look, this guy's not going to play under this deal. We don't have the money to pay him. And, you know, he wants to make $25, $30 million a year. All right, well, let's let's ship him off and see what we can get. I mean, this morning started as any other day would with the sunrise and, and everything else. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, well, something's happening here in Kansas City. Tyreek Hill is looking to get traded. Like, Why would the Kansas City Chiefs trade their best player? If you look at the rest of their roster, they have – uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, they just signed, and they have Miko Hardman as their top two receivers. They got nothing, zero behind them, and they're looking to trade Tyreek Hill. Okay, similar situation. He wants to renegotiate his contract. He has one year left on his deal. They can't pay him $30 million a year. They're going to see what they can get for him. But guess what? One of the two picks that they get for him, either in the first or second round, which is pick number 29, they're probably going to have to spend on a wide receiver. They're just going to start the process over again on a rookie deal. That's all. That's it's a style. This is about dollars. And Roger, well, I, where, I, where's Miami coming up with all this money now? All of a sudden, where, yeah, what are they going they, to pay him? They signed well, Ron Armstead for seventy-five million dollars over five years. That's fifteen a year. And they signed the Tyree right? Kill today the for old, yeah for thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, You're telling the me they had forty-five tackle. million dollars? Yeah. Ooh. Well, they, they, the That's whole fun. idea. Well, they still got Tua on a, uh, a rookie contract, yeah. right? They right. Do, they do. That, and, and that's what they're trying to do is to build up the team to get him uh, where he can be the franchise quarterback. I mean, the new coach is doing it a lot different than uh, you know the uh, previous coach, and uh, uh, or Brian. Uh, well, what was it? you know, Sam, I, I Torres, think, right? I think the Dolphins. You know, based on Tyreek Hill and Waddle and Gasecki and and some of these moves that they've they've made, um, I think they have some some solid talent on that team. The only question mark is Tua. I, I never liked him coming out of Alabama. Uh, I don't think he's he's got a a lot of arm talent. I don't think that he, I mean he's a left hander. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I think he was. I would have never taken him where they took him. He, he certainly wasn't the best option at quarterback. In fact, I think they took him before Justin Herbert, which I think is an absolute I – mean, we can say that now, but if you just look at someone's pure throwing motion, I think that tells you a lot about, you know what I mean, like Tua's not the kind of guy that I would draft. He, he, he doesn't throw the football. and doesn't have a throwing motion reminiscent of somebody who, you know, should be playing quarterback in the NFL. That's just my opinion, but – Again, too, I would also preface that by saying I liked Joe Flacco's throwing motion. I, I thought that he delivered the football uh, in a very efficient way with his throwing motion, had a very strong live arm, could make all the throws. That's the kind of guy I would want if I wanted a pure pocket passer. Tua, Tua doesn't do that for me. No, well, he's not a true pocket passer. And Jalen Hurts, the same thing. You know, he was at uh, Alabama and then went well, to Oklahoma because of Tua. But but Jalen Hurts actually has a throwing motion that you could say, if he didn't scramble or they didn't run any of that RPO stuff, Jalen Hurts would be fine in the pocket because he can deliver the football and he throws with a with a good throwing, solid, strong, 
you know, delivery. Um, Tua, Tua doesn't. He's a short armor. Um, you know, he 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 lacks. I think he fumbled a lot um, with with the, with his ball security in terms of the transition from the snap to the the pivot point of the throw. He doesn't. He just. I, I never liked the guy, and I still don't. And I don't think you could build a team around something like that. Well, let's 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 go to Mariota today. Why? I mean, he signed a two-year contract. Yeah. Uh, Mariota really hasn't proven anything except he's been no. alternated as a quarterback. I, I don't understand how well, he wants to sign Mariota. Well, he was I, a, it was out of necessity. Uh, and, and, yeah. uh, that's the way I look at it because, listen, when Chip Kelly was with the Eagles, that's who he wanted to get in the first-round mm-hmm. uh, pick was Mariota. Yeah. And, you know, because he had him at Oregon. Well, I mean, look. That, that particular year, and you see this from time to time in the NFL draft where you have these, you know, uh, quarterback debates of, of who's first, you know, Peyton or Ryan Leaf or, you know, you, I mean, it happens every year where you have a couple guys and the particular year that Marcus Mariota. We are, we are out of time. We'll have to go to Mariota uh, next week. Uh, Roger, yeah. thank you very, <laughs> very much. Doug, thanks jumping in there real quick like that. And, uh, of course. We'll have conversations about what happens with Mickelson, among many yeah. other things, as the shows continue. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Well, we'll throw it back to uh, Frank. Frank's got to close out here. And, Roger, thank you very much. Talk to you later. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks for everything, Frank. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men in the United States Armed Forces, the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. These are very tough times for the men and women in uniform. These programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman Jeffrey David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwick, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Randy Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Charlie Connett, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Charlie LeBake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Onofa Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrol Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Police Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Terry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, though you may be 10 to 7 at this point in time, at some time you'll be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shema Hezahilma Sona Shenevorat Fet Hakuig again, my Elma Shema.
نه کار کنم نمونه شد 